Chapter 1, the 33rd of August Just a little farther, Jamie panted. It always helped her to talk to herself as she ran. Push it, push it until the end of the block. Go, go! She summoned every ounce of strength left in her legs and pretended she was back in high school, sprinting the last stretch of the mile. Move it, Romans! Even now, 25 years later, she could still hear Coach Noah's half-encouraging, half-terrifying voice in her head. Just as she neared the end of the block, her wireless earbuds came flying out of her ears, blasting Orange Blossom Special into the quiet streets of Bradshaw, Alabama. A tall, skinny man jogged past her, then spun around, earbuds in hand. She'd know that black hair and irritating grin anywhere. Well, Brock, she yelled as loud as she could without much breath. What's the deal? Just messing with you, Doc, Webb replied as he jogged around her in a circle, then bounced in place in front of her. He never was able to keep still. Hadn't had a chance to welcome you home yet. He grinned again, looking as delighted with himself as when he'd filled her locker with silly string on the first day of their senior year of high school. Refusing to smile in return, she held her hand out and raised an eyebrow. Ooh, is that the look you're going to give them if they're late turning their papers in? He asked. She rolled her eyes, turned, and continued to jog down the tree-lined street. I don't have time for your nonsense today, she yelled over her shoulder as she headed away from the high school and back toward her father's house. Even though they must have bloomed earlier in the summer, hot pink crepe myrtles were still showing out in yard after yard along Deschler Street. Aw, come on, he called, catching up with her. She started to speed up again, but she knew his long legs could easily match any pace she set. Don't be like that. How's it going? Started the new gig yet? I start today, she sighed as they jogged east, crossing 2nd Street, then 3rd. She'd always thought the town founders could have come up with something more original than simply numbering the crossing neighborhood streets. Might be why I'm a little tenser than usual. He snorted. More than usual. From what I remember, you've always been wound pretty tight. Oh, what do you know? How long has it been since you've seen me? I could be a completely laid-back, relaxed person now. He laughed again. Possum doesn't change its stripes. I can hear you still like that old country music. Plus, your daddy keeps me posted. He's proud of you, you know. Teaching at Sarah Lawrence and Yale is one thing, but coming back to teach at the college here, real step up in his eyes. Well, Sarah Lawrence still isn't the New York Times, and I was mostly on at Yale as an adjunct, she smiled. As for Daddy, I think he's still in shock. I'm going to be here longer than a week. Hey, how's he doing today? Webb asked, more seriously. About the same, I guess, she replied. He wasn't up when I left, but he will be by now. Jamie had been shocked when she'd arrived home a few days before. Her dad's weekly FaceTime calls hadn't shown her how much of a toll his cancer had truly taken. He was bone thin, winced with every movement, and spent most of his time on the couch, sleeping and watching old Western movies. She couldn't believe he hadn't been more forthcoming with how advanced the disease was, and she was relieved it had worked out to take the visiting professor position at the college this year. He said you'd been helping him out a lot, she said more generously. I really appreciate it. Oh, don't mention it. He would have done the same. Well, he did do the same for a lot of people over the years. You know how he is. Yeah, I do, she smiled, remembering how often her dad would pick up a paper bag of hot buttered biscuits from the city cafe and leave them for a friend or client on their front porch for breakfast. He seemed to file it away when someone had surgery or was going through a tough time and might need just one bit of extra help. 
How's everybody with you? she asked. About the same, too, he replied. Jamie realized Webb assumed she knew how his life had been going, and she didn't have a clue. She remembered his wife had died recently, but she had no idea how. She hadn't exactly been in the habit of keeping up with hometown news over the years, and she made a mental note to get the details from Libby the next time they talked. So fill me in, he went on, as they turned right on 4th Street. You excited about the position? Yeah, I am, actually, she said. It's going to be fun working with the students here and with Tanner again. Her former news director was the chair of the journalism department at the college and had been the one to reach out about her taking the visiting scholar role. I never knew I'd end up loving teaching as much as I do, she continued, but it's turned out to be really rewarding, and it gives me the flexibility to freelance as much as I want, keep my hand in with reporting. They slowed at the end of her dad's driveway, and Webb continued to jog in place. She turned to face town, took a few deep breaths, and stretched her arms over her head. She'd forgotten how muggy Alabama was in late August, and sweat had soaked her short blonde ponytail and was pouring down the back of her neck. I feel like I'm wearing a blanket, she said, dropping her arms and shaking off beads of sweat. Then she looked back at Webb again and grinned in spite of herself. This rotten boy that had been her best friend for the first 18 years of her life. He gave her ponytail a tug, then handed her earbuds back with a wink. She rolled her eyes and he laughed. Good luck today, he said. I'll tell Lacey to look you up. She's at the college too, majoring in journalism, in fact. No way. Yeah, please do. I'd love to talk with her. And I guess I'll see you at church tonight. Church? Yeah, you know Mom would be mad if you're not there. She had definitely not planned to go to church on a Wednesday night, but she nodded as Webb jogged down the block, waving over his shoulder, and made a right at the end of the street. Her father's house faced 4th Street, while Webb's faced 5th, her dad's backyard bordering Webb's surprisingly large garden. She'd have to ask about that, too. She grabbed the newspaper, climbed the steps leading to the wraparound porch, and paused at the door of her childhood home. The house's light gray paint was the identical color it had been her entire life, along with the dark blue shutters, refreshed every 10 years to look exactly the same as it had for the last hundred. Stepping inside, she could already smell the fresh coffee, too, another bedrock of her life. No matter how badly he was feeling, her father insisted on getting out of bed, making a pot of coffee, and reading his Bible. She navigated through the foyer and front room and into the living room to see him sitting on the leather Chesterfield sofa, sound asleep, his Bible in his lap, and a full cup of coffee beside him on the end table. Her eight-year-old basset hound, George Jones, was sitting on the floor beside him. George raised his head, and she scratched him behind his ears. Then she bent over, touched her father's shoulder, and kissed his cheek. Hey, Daddy, she whispered. I'm back. Jamie, girl, he stirred and sat up straighter. Have you ever considered the difference between dying suddenly and dying slowly? Oh, Daddy, she said, sighing and trying to subtly check her watch. She needed to shower and get to campus, even though her first class wasn't until just before lunch. We don't have to talk about all that now, do we? Indeed we do, he replied, sounding as if he were beginning his closing arguments. James Romans had returned to Bradshaw after law school and hung out his shingle, as he used to say, underplaying a 50-year career, taking on any case that walked through the door, as long as he believed his client was being completely honest with him. Now, he continued. When you die slowly, you have the chance to prepare your will, 
tie up any loose ends, say goodbye to your family and friends, but it takes a toll on your body, your mind, your faith, and on those same family and friends who, whether they'll admit it or not, are waiting for you to say the final goodbye. She nodded and thought about how long it might take her to get across the bridge ten minutes later than she'd anticipated. Dying suddenly, well, that certainly throws those left behind for a loop, doesn't it? Think about your mother. And of course, Hank. She winced at the mention of her ex-husband. She'd never told her father they'd separated, and she really didn't want to be reminded of Hank today. But you can move immediately, immediately to the closure, or at least to the acceptance. You move through the grieving process much more expeditiously. Do you, though, she asked, or is the amount of pain equal, just different? She never could resist the urge to engage in a debate once he'd started it. Hmm, well, I believe, you know, that's something to study on, he said, taking a sip of his coffee, then setting it back on the coaster on the glass-topped coffee table. Just rest my eyes and think for a bit. He trailed off as he leaned his head back on the couch and dozed off instantly. George shifted his 50-pound frame, leaned against her father's leg, and closed his eyes as well. She shook her head and smiled, squeezed his shoulder again, and headed upstairs to get dressed. Webb jogged up the three steps onto the porch and through the front door of his restored 125-year-old eye house and into the kitchen then continued to jog in place with high knees at the counter as he sorted through the mail from the day before. A couple of bills, mostly junk. Another box of insulin pens. He put them beside the coffee pot for Lacey. He'd been trying to let her manage her own prescriptions lately, but he still kept one eye on them. Slowing a bit, he shifted his weight back and forth as he mentally ran through his client list for the day. He took a meal replacement shake out of the refrigerator, shook it, then flipped the coffee on. Jamie Romans, he thought, dropping to the ground for his usual 20 post-run push-ups. Dang it, liked it better when she was up north. As he'd told her, James kept him updated on her life, but at least the girl had been at a safe distance. Woman, he corrected himself, thinking Lacey would be proud of him. His daughter was trying to teach him to be more politically correct. Wait, is politically correct even the right term? He thought, then shook his head and chuckled at himself. Maybe mom is right that I was born old. He pursed his lips as he sat on the cold porcelain tile floor and stretched. He knew Jamie was a woman, but there was a part of him that always thought of them both as 10-year-old kids, climbing trees, riding around town in her dad's golf cart, and trying to outdo each other with dares. He didn't really remember life without her. Their mothers had been best friends, and Jamie's had died when she was only three. Webb's earliest memory was being with his mother that day at the Roman's house, whispered conversations filtering in from the other room as Libby held a sniffling Jamie on her lap and Webb under her arm. We'll always be here for you, little one, Libby had told her. You'll always have us. Webb had gazed at his mother and nodded, and Libby had leaned her forehead down to touch his. That's my boy, she whispered. The coffee pot let out a puff of steam and he came back to the present. He stood, stretched his hamstrings one last time, and poured himself a cup. Even after more than six months of Taylor being gone, he still had to remind himself not to take a second cup out of the cabinet and pour one for her, too. He shook his head. He'd always tried not to let Taylor and Jamie occupy the same space in his mind. No need to start now. He jogged upstairs as his daughter came out of her room. 
Hey, Dad, she said. How was your run? Oh, fine, he replied. It's pretty muggy out there already. Hey, come here a second. He went into his room, put his coffee on the nightstand, then sat on the edge of the suede recliner, where he ended up sleeping most nights. Webb had always slept fitfully, and now he found it hard to get into an empty bed at all. He stretched his long legs out in front of him, then took a sip of coffee. First day of classes, right? He asked. Yeah, she said. You're not going to make me do a picture with my school supplies like when I was little, are you? I guess not. College sophomores too grown up for that? Yep. Hey, you're taking that computer science course this year, aren't you? Maybe you could help me with my website. He grinned and wiggled his eyebrows at her. Dad, she groaned. Get it? Web, website, you know. I get it. I get it. Please stop with the dad jokes. I can't help it. I'm a dad. Anyway, your insulin pens are by the coffee pot. I'm just going to grab a shower, then run over to see James before I go to the office. His daughter's in town, along with her dog. Thought I'd make a house call to check on both old fellas. Think George is getting close to ten. He looked out the second floor window toward the Roman's house and wondered if Jamie would be staying in her old bedroom or the guest room. Both were on the second floor, so he could see both windows from his. He realized Lacey had grown quiet, and he looked back to see her watching him. Everything okay? she asked. Yeah, just checking on the garden, he said. I'll take a look at those carrots I planted later today. Anyway, um, Jamie, James's daughter, you remember her, right? She's teaching journalism at the college this year, some kind of visiting position. You should look her up. Oh, um, okay, maybe. Y'all were good friends, weren't you? Yeah, when we were growing up. She took off right after college and never stuck around too long down here. James was always lucky to get her to come home at Christmas. Good she can be here with her daddy right now, though. She'll help you out if you need anything. She's covered all kinds of stuff. Her writing's amazing. She wrote a textbook a few years ago, and even that was good. Okay, Lacey replied. I guess I can talk to her then. Old George Jones will be good company for James while she teaches, Webb chuckled. Bassett's are pretty laid back. He took another sip of coffee, returned his cup to the nightstand, headed to the bathroom, then turned back to his daughter. So, um, you doing okay today? With everything? Yeah, she paused. It's weird that Mom's not here this year. I know. She nodded once, and he could see her blinking back tears. He took a step towards her, and she put out a hand to stop him. I'm fine, Dad, she said. Just, I'll see you later tonight. Libby Brock was sitting in her usual pew at the Bradshaw Community Church and flipping through the weekly bulletin when she felt a hand on her shoulder. Jamie, girl, she exclaimed as she jumped into the aisle and pulled her into a tight hug. Her third son, Webb, was standing behind Jamie and grinning like a mule. Look who I found running the streets, he said. Jamie rolled her eyes and shook her head. Oh, hush, Webb, Libby said over Jamie's shoulder as she hugged her again. My girl is home. Now, let me look at you. Libby pulled back, put a hand on each of Jamie's cheeks and frowned at her, concentrating. Hmm, turn to the side, stick out your tongue, and you're a zipper. We need to get some good home cooking in you. Otherwise, you're as perfect as ever. Oh, how I've missed you, sweet girl. She hugged her tightly again. Libby had three sons and three daughters-in-law she liked to varying degrees. But Jamie was special. The only daughter of her oldest and dearest friend, God had taken far too soon for Libby's liking. We still have words about that some days, don't we? She prayed silently. But Jamie is the gift you left for us. Hey, Mama, how come you never talk to any of us like this? 
Webb asked, his brown eyes twinkling. Don't sass me, she said, then turned back to Jamie. How's the new job? Great, actually, Jamie replied. Today was the first day and the students were fantastic. Your gorgeous granddaughter even came by my office to say hello. Oh, I'm so glad you met her. Lacey's a brilliant girl, just like you at that age. No credit to her actual parents, I suppose, Webb said dryly as he picked up the bulletin Libby had left on the pew and flipped through it. Libby ignored him. James okay today? she asked. About the same, Jamie responded. I stopped by this morning, Webb chimed in. He seemed a little more energetic than usual. I think he's happy you're home. Old George is in good shape, too. Gave him a quick once-over while I was there. Did you? Jamie seemed surprised. Thanks. Well, Webb can be helpful when it suits him, and he is the best vet in town if I do say so myself. Libby laughed and pointed her finger at him. See? Sometimes I'm nice. The worship leader walked on stage to start the service, and Jamie took a seat in the Brock pew, middle section, fifth one from the back, the pew where Libby's family had sat for at least 50 years and as familiar to her as the clothes on her back. There were so many of them now they almost filled the entire row on Sunday mornings, and Libby wouldn't have had it any other way. Webb had it in right behind Jamie, but Libby lightly put her hand on his chest and went in first. Better keep an eye on that, she thought. Webb had been sugar in Jamie's hands since she could remember. While Libby would have preferred things to have worked out differently for both of them in the marriage department, she trusted God to work them all together for good. She also knew her son well enough to know he was still deep in grieving, and she didn't want to see him get hurt or get into anything before he was ready, even with her darling girl. She leaned toward Jamie. Let's plan on lunch soon, she whispered. We have a lot of catching up to do. I'll have to fill you in on my women's group. She couldn't help herself and stifled a laugh, her closely cropped reddish-brown curls shaking. What have you been up to? Jamie asked curiously. Oh, it's a fabulous story, Libby replied and winked at her. Webb bent toward them. Both y'all hush, he said as the announcement started. Don't you have some deacon work you can go do? Libby shot back. She turned to Jamie again. Lunch, soon, she whispered, and be at my house at seven o'clock tomorrow night. The next morning, Jamie rolled out of bed at her usual 5.30. She changed into her running clothes, did a few sets with her weights, and stretched. She looked at her high school Bible, still sitting on her dresser, and bit her lip. Somehow being at church last night made her feel as if she should read it again. Maybe another time, she thought, shaking her head. She quietly headed downstairs, George Jones at her heels. She let him out the back door and set his breakfast on the kitchen floor. Minutes later, he came back in, drank his fill of water, and promptly laid down on the cool tile. Be back soon, buddy, she whispered. She stepped onto the porch and took a deep breath in and out. She could almost smell the lingering summer heat as the first pinpricks of the sun poked through the trees. Temperatures were still reaching the 90s, but the light in late August had always slanted a little differently to her, promising fall would be there if they'd just show a little more patience. Just the same as it used to be, she thought. She put her earbuds in and scrolled through her playlist. Dolly today, she decided. She started to press play on 9 to 5 when she saw Webb running down the street. Morning, he said, slowing to jog in place at the end of her driveway. Well, hello, she replied. So, guess this is your usual time, too, he asked. Pretty much, she said. Do you run every morning? Rain or shine, he said, doing lunges, except for Sundays. She nodded. 
I can go um, that way, I guess, she said, gesturing away from downtown and towards the neighborhood streets of Bradshaw. I did that yesterday, and there are plenty of sidewalks. He ran his hands over his hair and stretched his arms toward the pale blue sky. Yeah, but there's a bunch of mean birds that way, too, he replied, winking at her. She frowned at the memory of how much birds had scared her when she was younger, and still did sometimes if she were being honest. There was one rather aggressive mockingbird yesterday she'd have to be sure to steer clear of today. I'll be fine, thanks, she said archly, and turned on her heel. Hang on, he called. Why don't we, I mean, if we're both up and running anyway. You want us to run together? She asked. Might as well, he said, shrugging. Worked for four years in high school, didn't it? She shook her head and, like yesterday, smiled in spite of herself. She'd forgotten how he'd always been able to get her to smile, despite her best efforts to stay frustrated. That's how it goes in this town, she said, relenting as she jogged in front of him. You never could do anything by yourself. There could be worse choices for a running partner, though, and for a friend, she thought. Despite his sometimes irritating qualities, she genuinely liked Webb. They'd been friends since they were born, treating the town as their own personal playground. They'd double-dog dared each other, studied together, run track together in high school, and gotten baptized at the same revival, even though she'd barely darkened the doors of a church since. He was the closest thing she had to a brother, and it felt so familiar to just pick right back up where they'd left off all those years ago. Everyone had seemed to expect they would end up together, she thought, glancing at him as they ran toward downtown. But he'd asked her out only once. Freshman year of high school, she'd been sitting with a friend on the hill above the track when one of his friends approached and, jerking his thumb over his shoulder, said, Hey, Jamie, Webb wants you to go to the homecoming dance with him. She almost fell over laughing because she'd immediately thought he was joking. He was constantly pulling pranks, and half the time you didn't know whether he was serious or not. But when she, still laughing, turned her head in the direction his friend had pointed and saw him at the top of the hill, she saw his hopeful expression immediately turn to hurt. He'd swiveled around and jogged off in the direction of the school. She'd been speechless at the time, but approached him the next day to make amends. Oh, I was only messing with you, he'd replied, giving her ponytail a tug, slamming his locker shut, then heading to class. And that was the end of that, she thought. I wonder why we never... Oh, my goodness, she exclaimed, interrupting her own thoughts as they rounded the corner onto Main Street. What all has happened here? When Jamie had been growing up, the businesses in town had been few and far between, closing at noon on Wednesdays and never open on Sundays. The Soso Boutique, the City Cafe, Rosemay's Beauty Shop, where all the ladies had their hair set weekly, and, of course, her father's law office. A handful of others, but most of the buildings had set unoccupied the faded remnants of what had once been a bustling North Alabama railroad town. In the years since Jamie had been gone, though, it had been revitalized. As they jogged down Main Street toward the park, she was shocked to see there were restaurants, clothing stores, and other businesses in almost every storefront. Murals had been painted on some of the walls, and they'd even repaved sections of the road with bricks. Yeah, everybody's worked real hard to support it. The palace opened first, Webb said, gesturing behind him to the drugstore and ice cream shop. After that, the bookstore. Coffee's real good there, by the way. Then it kept growing. People started getting excited. Sometimes it just takes one good change to generate more. She tried not to let her mouth hang open as they ran down the hill toward the park. A piano shop, a women's clothing store, an antique store, 
And, of course, the seed and feed was still there at the end of the street. A tiny, standalone building it had needed a paint job for 30 years. She remembered how she and Webb would take their allowance there and buy day-old bread for the ducks at the park. She chuckled again. Good to see not everything changed, she said, pointing to it. I'm guessing they still have bread for sale. Those poor ducks, he said, overstuffed in the summer and starving in the winter. I usually swing by every few days when it gets cold and bring them a loaf. They all swarm around me when I get out of the truck. So you're basically the town vet then, she asked. Yeah, I guess you could say that. You never did want to do anything else, she responded, as they made the circle around the park, crossing the small bridge over the pond and ducking under the low-hanging branches of the willow trees. Remember when we found that baby bird that had fallen out of the nest, she continued. You scooped it up and brought it inside, then Libby fussed at you for picking it up. We both cried and cried when it died. Oh, yeah, I remember that. It was the hardest thing to get past as a vet, too. Knowing at some point, my friends aren't going to make it, he frowned. It's still the hardest part, really, knowing I can't save them all. She squinted as they ran back up the hill and directly into the sun. I'm glad to be here with Daddy right now, she said. I had no idea. She looked at the ground and swallowed back tears. I had no idea he was in the shape he was in. He puts on a good front, Webb said. You seem to have known how he was really doing, though. Yeah, well, I'm nosy, he continued. Kept barging in, asking questions about the garden and the best place for the martin gourds and all that. Wouldn't leave him alone. They made it to the top of the hill, then turned around and jogged in place. Racy to the track, Romans. She shook her head. You know I never could catch you. She paused, then burst into a run, speeding by him to get a head start toward the high school at the other end of Main Street. In seconds, it seemed, he had run past his long legs practically taking a block with each step. He was tall for a runner, just over six feet, and he'd always been rail thin. Jamie had been fast enough to be one of the sprinters on the track team in high school, but no one compared to Webb. He'd set state records and went to college on a track and field scholarship, and even though no one was as fast, he'd never been arrogant about it. He was the kind of kid that pushed everyone on the team to be better, herself included. She always felt like she ran faster when she was running with him. She finally caught up with him in front of their sprawling high school, centered by an antebellum home serving as an ever-present reminder of the city's Confederate history. She remembered how surprised she'd been to learn her African-American friends on the track team had viewed the house differently than her white friends. It was the start of waking up to a bigger world, she thought. Good hustle, good hustle, Webb said, clapping and drawing her back to the current world. You sound just like Coach Noah, she laughed, gasping for breath. How is he, anyway? Ornery as ever, Webb replied. We go fishing now and then. You always were his favorite. Oh, now don't be like that. You were, she insisted. Well, you were Miss Collins' favorite. She was always reading your papers to the rest of us to show us how we could aspire to more. Oh, she was wonderful. She lives in Dallas with her daughter now, you know. I didn't keep up with her. She was just glad to get rid of me. Jamie laughed again. So tell me about your daughter, he said. You should be careful asking me that. I won't stop talking about her. She's brilliant, gorgeous, amazing, and going to take over the world. What about yours? Same. They both laughed as they started down the stadium steps toward the track as they had hundreds of times in high school. 
Amanda will be here at Thanksgiving, and I already can't wait. It's been so long since she's seen the town. She's going to love it, Jamie said, as they slowed their pace and started to circle around the track, past the raggedy bleachers on the visitor's side. I had actually kind of wondered if she'd end up going to school somewhere down here, but she stayed in Connecticut, closer to her friends. She's always romanticized Bradshaw, though, thinks of it as the ideal hometown or something. You had done anything to change that? He asked. No, of course not, she replied. It's sweet. She loves her grandpa. She loves the idea of small-town Alabama. I would never want to ruin it for her, even though you got away as fast as you could. His words unexpectedly stung, and she looked at him startled and a little hurt. They jogged silently for a minute, then he abruptly nudged her arm when they got back to the home side. Remember stadiums? Still got a few in you? Maybe, she responded, as they went up one set of stairs, then down another, crisscrossing the stands. Coach Noah had insisted they run all 12 sections of the alternating stairs at the beginning and end of every track practice. At the end of the third set, though, she stopped at the top of the stadium, panting and covered in sweat. Okay, okay, that's all I've got in me. I'm going to have to build up to these. We'll add on another couple tomorrow, then, he said, as they jogged out through the parking lot. So Lacey finished here? Jamie gestured to the school. Did she run track to you? No, she did for a year, but she wasn't as into it as we were. She was always more interested in writing. I was glad to hear she came to see you. She's shy, so I have to push her sometimes to do stuff like that. Webb Brock's daughter is shy? I don't believe it. She's like her mom that way. Taylor always liked it better when it was just the three of us. Got nervous around crowds and all, he shrugged. Opposites must have attracted there, Jamie thought. Well, Lacey is lovely, she said. I don't know how many years it's been since I've seen her. Tanner said she's already writing for the college paper, so I asked her to email me some of her work. I'll be glad to help her any way I can. Thanks, he said. She sure loves to write, and she's quiet, but she's definitely got a mind of her own. She calls me out a lot when I say something too old-fashioned or, as she says, in defense of the patriarchy. Oh, then she and Amanda are going to get along just fine. As much as she loves it here, she grew up in a much more progressive world up north. She and her friends used to say in high school, a man is not a financial plan. Ouch. No, no, that's good, I guess, he said. The world feels like it's changing a little too fast for me sometimes, but... You know, I really think it's going to be better when Lacey's generation gets through with it. I think so, too, she said. I remember girls we graduated with talking about going to college for their MRS. It's a much better idea not to depend on anyone. The sooner they learn you can only count on yourself, the better. He looked as if he were about to argue, then closed his mouth and grinned again. Race you home? He raised his eyebrows in a challenge. No, she protested. No more racing this morning, Speedy McSpeederson. Okay, okay, you win, he said, as they turned back toward downtown. Set the pace, Doc. I'll follow your lead. Webb knocked twice, paused, then knocked twice more, before letting himself into the Roman's house. It's just me, James, he called. I know you're knocked, son, James responded hoarsely from the living room. Webb grinned, then walked back to find him watching a Matlock rerun. James muted the TV as George stood and wagged his body. Hey, old man, Webb crouched and gave him a scratch behind the ears. Watch your language, James said. George and I are easily offended when you remind us of our advancing years. Webb laughed and stood. Point taken. He looked around the living room, back towards the kitchen, then glanced at the stairs. She's still at work, James said. Who? Oh, no, I was just... You were looking for my daughter. 
She'll be back soon, son, in more ways than one, I suspect. James had always treated Webb the way Libby had treated Jamie, as if he was partly his own. Even though Webb's father was a good man, the two of them had never connected in the same way his dad had with his other brothers. Dale Brock loved anything to do with the outdoors, hunting and fishing, and Dale Jr. and Shane were just like him. They could spend hours in the woods or on a boat without saying a word, and Webb had always been too antsy and too talkative for that life. Ever since he could remember, though, he and James had enjoyed good conversations. They'd debated everything from taxes to home rule, but neither had taken a difference of opinion personally. They'd written each other letters when he'd been working on his veterinary degree at Auburn, and he'd even introduced him to Taylor before taking her home to meet his own parents. The garden had been their latest joint venture, and Webb had gotten to where he looked forward to their almost daily visits. Now, though, the perception that had served James well as a lawyer and a friend was making the back of Webb's neck perspire. He walked to the window, then turned back, stretching his arms in front of him. I don't, I mean, I'm not. James held up a hand. She doesn't even know it yet, but I'm pretty sure she's coming home for good. There's something different about her this time, a heaviness instead of the same old restlessness. I think God's bringing her home to her faith, too, which, in my opinion, has been sorely neglected over the last few years. I should probably mention that to Libby, in fact. He trailed off and looked around until he spotted the memo pad and golf pencil that were always close by. He made a note on the paper, then shook his head and continued. Anyway, to be honest with you, I'm a little worried about her. She seems sad somehow, but Jamie's not the kind to talk about her feelings, especially with me. James took an unsteady breath and leaned back on the couch. Webb crossed the room and sat beside him. You okay? He asked, leaning in a little closer. Oh, yes, yes, I'm fine. James waved a hand at him. Jamie, though, seems like she's missing something. I suspect it's the Lord. She's been farther from him than she's let on, and it shows. He'll guide her back, but she might still have a tough road ahead. Now, I know you're quick to jump in and help anybody anytime they're on a tough road, even when it's to your own detriment. Webb scowled and started to protest, but James silenced him with a raised eyebrow. Am I wrong? Need I remind you of the time you about cleaned out your savings to carry the animal shelter through the summer? Webb grudgingly shook his head, and James went on. I also know you're still dealing with a lot of regret about Taylor. You've always been a rule follower. You broke the rules, if you can even call it that, one time. You paid a pretty severe consequence. That's something that's going to take some time for you to get past, and it's only been, what, a little more than six months? I know you haven't forgiven yourself yet, and I just want you to be sure to protect yourself in this. I'd hate for you to get hurt in any way, even by my own daughter. Webb found himself touched, but a little embarrassed by the old man's concern. He started to argue, then he heard the front door open and Jamie call out. Hello? George stood and trotted as fast as he ever did to greet her. Hey, pal, he heard her say. Where's your grandpa? Webb grinned at James. Grandpa, huh? I must admit, I let that dog get away with quite a lot. They both chuckled as Jamie and George came into the room. Well, here's trouble, she said, setting her computer case on the coffee table, then taking off her blazer and tossing it on top of the laptop. Webb stared at her from the couch. She was wearing a low-cut royal blue blouse and form-fitting pants, and he suddenly felt like he couldn't get a full breath. Dang, he thought. She even makes black pants look good. Webb? James's stern voice interrupted his thoughts. 
He blushed and willed himself to shift his eyes to her father instead of her. Want to stay for supper? Oh, no thanks. I should be getting home. Lacey will be expecting you, I suppose, he said. Of course, Webb replied in an exaggerated tone. Remember what I said, son, James said. Webb frowned at him, but nodded once. Jamie looked from him to her father. Something going on I should know about? Nope, Webb said quickly. He's just been dispensing his lawyerly advice this afternoon. He stood and clapped James gently on the shoulder. Well, that's his favorite thing to do, Jamie said as she brushed by Webb to take his place on the couch. He got a whiff of her perfume as she passed. She smells like gardenias. No, tuberoses, he thought, as she sat by her father and propped her feet on the coffee table. Okay, young ones, don't talk about me as if I'm not here, James said. I'm not gone just yet. Jamie pecked him on the cheek, then smiled at Webb. See you tomorrow? He allowed himself one last look at her legs, his heart pounding in his eardrums, and in that moment, he couldn't have remembered James's advice if he'd wanted to. First thing, he replied, swallowing hard. I've got your mom's mystery meeting tonight, she said. I'll have to fill you in on how it goes. Come in, come in, darling. Libby hugged Jamie, then ushered her through the house into the sunroom in the back. When her boys were growing up, it had been a screened-in porch that served as a landing place for muddy running shoes, abandoned socks, and whatever animal had accompanied Webb home. After they were all grown, she and Dale had it glassed in and redecorated, and she thought every single day how it might have been the best decision they'd ever made. Tonight, for instance, she thought, where else would these respectable ladies have met? Jamie, you know these biddies, she said, beaming at Martha Ann, Patty, and Rosemarie. Along with Jamie's mother, Libby, Patty, and Rosemarie had grown up as best friends, going through church, high school, marriages, children, heartbreak, and more together. Martha Ann had moved to Bradshaw after she was already married with children, but they folded her right into the group when they recognized a kindred spirit. Well, thanks for letting me sit in tonight, Jamie replied after hugging everyone. So is this like a weekly Bible study or what, Libby? We call it Titus II with a twist, Libby laughed. We're a rogue group, Martha Ann chimed in. Because Libby got us kicked out of church, Patty said. What? Jamie responded. What did you do? Sit down, sit down, have a drink, Libby said, and I'll tell you the whole story. I'll get it myself. Is this sweet or unsweet tea? Jamie asked as she walked to the bronze drink cart. What's unsweet tea? Libby returned, winking at her as the other women burst out laughing. I've clearly been away too long, Jamie said, pouring herself a tall glass, then sitting beside Libby on the rattan couch. So what happened? Well, you know Libby's been teaching the women's Wednesday night class at church for how many years now? Rosemarie said. Oh, since Jamie was little bitty, Libby weighed in. And we started this particular study, what, about a year ago? It was on the progressive side. I, for one, don't think it was anything heretical, but it rubbed some people the wrong way. And someone... Let's call her Jean Allen, Patty said, rolling her eyes, complained to the pastor who overreacted and decided to consolidate all the Wednesday night classes into the auditorium. He didn't say it was because of our study, but everybody knew. So Libby just moved our class to Thursday night and only invited the fun people, Martha Ann said. With her being right across the street from church, Rosemarie continued, waving her hand around the sunroom, the pastor was fit to be tied. There wasn't anything he could do at that point. And now we talk about whatever we want to. They cackled again. Seriously, sweet, it's a good group, Libby said. We've decided to talk through hard things. We take a new topic every few weeks or so. 
Sometimes it's heavy on the theology. Sometimes it'll have to do with politics. And sometimes we just get mad, fuss at each other. She winked at the rest of the group, then beamed at Jamie. But that doesn't happen too often, because you know we sure do love Jesus, too. Jamie gave her a small smile, then stared at the ice in her glass. Something to watch there, Libby thought. Lord, she prayed, just tell me what to say and when to say it. Libby had long been in the habit of praying in the middle of conversations as if God was right in the room with her. And we love our younger girls, too, Martha Ann said. We do, Patty agreed. They should be here soon. Younger girls, Jamie asked. Our protégés, Rosemarie said. Monica, Beth, and Jeanette. We've all been friends so long that we've already talked through a lot of hard stuff over the years, so we're talking through some of these issues with them. We're teaching them how to love their husbands, because we know how hard the men are to love sometimes, and we help them with their kids as much as we can, and we tell them not to be addicted to too much wine. See, Titus too, Libby said, shrugging. She leaned toward Jamie. So what do you say? You in? She asked, raising her eyebrows. An amused smile spreading across her face, Jamie leaned toward her in return. I'm in, she said, clinking her glass next to Libby's.